We are excited today to, to share with you today's message. Uh, we, we're going to be sharing some things that uh, we've never shared before and some things we kind of have, but we wanted to make it practical and personal. You're going to get some, a little bit of into our marriage, but we want to, we want to go to scripture today. So you should have gotten some notes when you walked in. We're, we're going to go to those notes. We're, we're going to share a passage of scripture. I'm going to let this kind of be the driving verse for our, our message today, and it's found in Matthew chapter 19. It's a, a moment where Jesus and the Pharisees are having a conversation, and they're coming to him and having a conversation about marriage. Now, let me just pause real quick and say, we will spend a good bit of time talking about marriage things, but what we're sharing today is applicable to every relationship, whether if you're married or not married, if you're single and looking or single and satisfied, however that looks for you, um, this, these principles are relational principles. And so we're going to share it a little bit more in the context of marriage, um, but you'll see what I'm talking about in just a minute. So Matthew chapter 19, let's read it together. And starting in verse 3, it says, The Pharisees were intent on putting Jesus to the test with difficult questions, so they approached him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? So they're, they're trying to pin Jesus in a corner and find out what is his stance on marriage and divorce. Verse 4, Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures about creation? So Jesus brings them back to the beginning. And he says, the creator made us male and female from the beginning. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and live with his wife. Now, here's where we're going to hone in today. You can help me. And the what? Everybody say that with me. And the two. This is huge here. And the two will become one flesh. From then on, they are what? They're no longer two, but they are united as, as one. So what God unites, let no one divide. Okay, so here's the big idea for today's message. This is where we're going. So the Bible says what God unites, let no one divide. And what we see in the very beginning of the garden is what God brought together, the enemy's full mission was to break apart. And we see that what God created at first is what Satan attacked first. And Satan attacked marriage. One of the first things that he came into is attacked Adam and Eve and their relationship with God and their relationship with one another. <clears throat> so here's the premise for today. Ready? If you want to just jot this thought down, here's the big premise for today. Satan's agenda is destruction, but his strategy is division. Satan's agenda is destruction. He wants to destroy your life, and he will do anything that he can to destroy, his, destroy your life. The Bible says that, that Jesus comes to give life and life more abundantly, but the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so from the very beginning, from the moment he was kicked out of heaven, the Satan's agenda from day one was anything that had to do with God and, and the people God loves, he was going to destroy them. Now, you have to realize, though, he's subtle. So he doesn't just kind of throw a bomb in and just blow everything up. He's got an agenda and he's got a strategy. And his strategy is to bring division. That's how he destroys you, is he divides you. And this verse tells us that what God unites, let no man divide. Other versions say, let no man separate. And, and you see this all throughout history, and you see this in America. Come on, how many of you know in America right now, the families and marriages are under attack like never before? 
it's hard to even watch TV shows now where you actually see a, a husband and a wife that actually love one another without there being major things that are going on. And so we see this all throughout um, the, the, the scriptures, and we see this all throughout um, our nation. And here's why. Because the foundation of our nation, I want everybody to listen to this. The foundation of our nation is the church. The foundation of the church is families. And the foundation of families is marriages. So if you want to destroy a nation, you make sure that the church is split. You want to destroy a church, make sure families are split. And you want to destroy families, make sure a marriage is split. Y'all see how this works? And he's very, very, very clever in how he does this. God came and made two people one. And ever since then, the enemy's been trying to make the one back to two. And, and, and we'll see this in a minute because we're going we're gonna to get into his, uh, some of his um, tactics that he uses. Yeah, in Mark 3.25, it says, A house divided against itself cannot stand. And today what we want to do is identify the things in our relationships that are causing division and are bringing division to us. And um, just so in case you don't know, just because we're pastors doesn't mean we don't walk through the same things as you or struggle with the same things as you in marriage, that we have those, the, the same enemy that wants to come and divide us. So we're going to share some personal examples too, so that you know that we're not immune to this. Yep. So three, three, <laughs> just, getting, just getting myself ready. Um, three tactics that the enemy uses to divide us. Okay. Yet again, this can be any relationships, but three tactics that the enemy uses to divide. Number one, unappreciative differences. Unappreciative differences. How many know God has designed men and women different? Yes. 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 If you haven't figured that out, you haven't been with men and women. Um, <laughs> and not just physiologically, like we're not just physiologically different, even though there's a lot of differences physically, um, but how many know there's differences emotionally? There's differences in, in behaviors. There's difference in the way that we view things. Uh, you know, one's hot, one's cold. One's a saver, one's a spender. One's a, one's a spanker, one's a grace. One's a, uh, we see a lot of differences that you see in men and in, and in women. And so um, that, unfortunately, though, can be one of the things that's in our marriage or in relationships that can divide us because she's very different than I am and I'm very different than, than she is in yeah. a lot of ways. For example, how many of you, when you go on vacation, you want to do a lot of things? Raise your hand if you want, you're a doer. You want to go and you want to do things. Raise your hand if you want to go on vacation and take a vacation and rest and do nothing. So here we have the rester and then we have the doer. And so I, he I mean, who wants, wants to go to a beach for nine hours and Read, sit, fall asleep. Sit <laughs> Thank you. At least I have some back of me. Eight I o'clock, a, I didn't have I a lot of back I need a jet ski. I need, I need, I need to, to paraglide. <laughs> I need to canoe. I need to do, I need to, I can, I can catch the rays as I'm doing something on the beach. Uh, I need to go fishing. I need to do something. So, yeah, so Practical our vacations yeah. can often come to these places where we, we're at odds with one another because she's like just chilling in the hammock. And I'm like... I mean, unless I'm in the hammock with you, I don't want to be in a hammock. Um, See, our last vacation together was um, eye-opening to say, okay, we need to go somewhere we can do both things. We will relax with me and we will do things with you. So. That is true. And then, like, I, I like being with people. Um, Lindsay does too, so I don't want to paint this as like she doesn't like people. <laughs> Thank you. She does. But I like 
people like refresh me. Like when I get around people, like on a Sunday, like when I leave here, like I'm recharged. I've been around people that I love. Uh, it's, it's a big deal. I'm, I, I used to be kind of a introverted, but I'm becoming more and more of a people person. And when you're a people person, people recharge you. But if you're not a people person, you leave a place like this and you're like, I need a nap. <laughs> Anybody? Okay. So, so like when it comes to our house, like we, we bought a bigger house so our family could grow, but we also bought a house so we could host things and have people over. So I'm like, let's, you know, we got a big house. Let's have people over. Let's have a lot of people over. And so it's usually the question I always get is how many? <laughs> and I always like lowball it at first, like six. And then when 26 show up. <laughs> I just want to know. It's just, yeah, there's, a, there's just a thing that, that ends up happening there. So yeah. those are definitely a difference. Yeah, and for sure. And another thing is Josh is a fast decision maker. I am a very slow decision maker. And even when I make the decision, I'm still processing the decision that I made. So those are two very different, very different you know, things. Like, and when you can like when, spit it when out. When you're dating or married, the ultimate decision you're always getting asked is, what are we eating for dinner? <laughs> I don't know. Just make a decision. I mean, I'll, we'll just figure it out. Let's figure out. It's going to happen right after this service is over. Y'all are going to feel it. You're going to feel it as soon as it. And how many you know when, when she says, what do you want for lunch? And then you say something and she goes, I don't care. She really does care. I can tell you what I don't want. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So you're like, hey, why don't we go here? And she's like, no. And you're like, well, what about here? And she says, no. And then you go, what about here? And she says, no. And then you go, you said you don't care. <laughs> Welcome to the belt marriage right here. This is where it's at. This is, this is, what, we, this is what we walk through. And so uh, I heard a guy say a long time ago, he says, when you're dating, opposites attract, but when you're married, opposites attack. <laughs> is this not true? Like when you're dating, you're like, oh my goodness, she's so laid back and all that stuff. And then you get married and you're like, she's lazy. Yeah. She's just lazy. She don't, she don't do nothing. <laughs> right, right? And then, and then like... When you're dating, it's like, oh my goodness, he's so quiet, you know, and everything. And then you get married, you're like, you don't talk. He won't talk to me. I mean, we can't have any conversations. It's, it's like that that happens all the time. It's just, it's just differences. But um, oftentimes they become unappreciative because we don't appreciate the difference that, the, that our spouse brings into a relationship or a friend brings into a friendship. So. But our differences, we have to realize, is what makes us a great team. And... Just coming to terms with saying and in our hearts knowing my way isn't always the best way. And just because something is different, again. my way, <laughs> he's going to replay this later. <laughs> my way is not always the best way. And just because something is different doesn't make it wrong. But, but we mm. just have this ingrained in us, like it has to be only this way for it to be right. But we're, again, we're two people who are very different, but we can be a great team and we can let our differences bring us together instead of dividing us more and more. And we can be different, but still be united. And that's such a big, a big statement. So I, I think the way that we would like to say it is, even when we don't see eye to eye, we still walk hand in hand. Mm. So when, when we face situations, even, and I don't know if this is just a male-female thing or if it's just the way that our personalities are. So um, like when I look at a problem, I'm looking at it through one set of lenses and I can kind of evaluate, like I can strip all the emotion that comes with it and just make a decision. Where she looks at a problem, like she's coming at it from an emotional decision and all the emotions that come attached 
to that. And so because I can, I can detach emotion from it and she attaches emotion to it, um, we can face things. If we're not careful, though, I can say, well, because you don't think it's my way, then that's the wrong way. But just because it's not my way doesn't mean it's the wrong way. It's just a different way. And, but that's what she brings to the marriage, and that's what I bring to the marriage. And so if it's decisions that need to be non-emotional, then she knows I can, I can make that happen. If it's decisions that we need to really process through what it looks like for relationships, I know she can do that too. And so it is a big part. Yeah, and our, um, we've taken a strength finders test for our marriage, and number one on mine was empathy. The last one on Josh's was empathy. And so um, where he can <laughs> lack in that, then I can come around and say, hey, you know, and he's like, yeah, I see what you're saying. So I can help bring compassion and empathy to his non-empathy world. <laughs> so, and I need his quick decision, unemotional decision making. Number two, <laughs> unrelenting selfishness. One of the things that can divide us greatly is unrelenting selfishness. Philippians 2 says it this way. Everybody tell me these first three words. Okay, now look at the person that you came with that's next to you and say those three words. <laughs> if your brother or sister is in here, little kid, you need to say that to them. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. We could spend so much time just on that alone. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others. Parents, just go ahead and post this across all your kids' walls, bathrooms, everywhere. It seems like this is a repeating verse in the belt home with our, with our boys all the time. But it's not just something our boys need to hear. Yeah, it's also something we need to hear. And we were at a staff meeting this past week, and Pastor Jacob Aranzo was talking about if you're single, so you have a pie, you know, this whole full pie. If you're single, it's all for you, you and Jesus. You know, like if you want to go to bed late, you go to bed late. If you want to wake up early, you wake up early. If you want to watch a movie, yep. you do whatever you want. You have your whole pie. So then you get married. And I would say, like, that pie is now, like, less than half. Like, if we're talking about not being selfish, you don't even have, you have less than a pie left of your pie. So then you start having kids. And that is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And we were, Ali, we were joking, like, you actually, I don't even think, you don't have a pie left because they ate your pie. The kid <laughs> ate it all. They all took, they took it. So we have not much left of our um and if you got boys, own. they definitely ate it. <laughs> and without, it's all gone. without you knowing. But a lot of times uh, we think about a wedding, but a wedding was actually our funeral. And it now isn't me anymore. We became we. And not just in our marriage relationships, but every relationship in our life. If you would be honest, you would know when we start to make it all about us, we make a mess of everything. Yeah. And so we yeah. always, it, we just have a selfish nature and we always go to that. But if we don't want the mess in our life, we have to start asking God to help us make us unselfish. Mm. And I love this quote by Ann Voskamp. It says, love is leaving your world to enter into the other's world. 
Just ask Jesus. He is love himself. And that's what Jesus did. He stepped out of heaven and he came and he met us in our world. He didn't shout from heaven and say, y'all figure it out, you do it. He, made, he left an example for us to follow and to leave our own worlds to, to jump into someone else's, whether that's a marriage, whether that's your friend, whether that's your coworker. And how many times we think we're just exempt from that? Like, oh, we're not, we don't have that example. We don't have to sacrifice in that way. But no, like Jesus left us an example and we need to die to ourselves, but we just... You know, we like ourselves. We do, and we want to make it about us. But remember, remember when you were tempted to think about yourself, the mess that you make when you do. Mm. So there's two areas that, that I know when we do a lot of marriage counseling, there's always two kind of areas of selfishness we always hear almost all the time. Here's the first one. I'll give you the first one. My needs. My needs. So you'll, you'll start, just start hearing a lot of like, why do y'all feel like there's no love? Well, he doesn't meet my needs. Like, I need him to do this, and I need him to do that. And um, a part of maturity in relationships is not only being aware of your needs, you have to be aware of the other person's needs. Um, I don't know if any of you have read, like, the five love languages. If you've read the five love languages, he, you know, he shares about how kind of everybody gives and receives loves in, in different ways. So there's, you know, words of affirmation and there's acts of service and there's gifts and there's touch and then there's quality time. <clears throat> I know Lindsay's number one need is, uh, on those five is words of affirmation. It's not my number one. Um, I don't need words of affirmation as much as she does. Now, I, I enjoy them. I think I'm grateful for them. But I don't need them as much as her because she receives love when I, when I give that to her. Now, mine is touch. Uh, that's mine. And, and touch me again. And, and again, those are my top three. Touch, touch me again, and again. And um, hers, though, is a totally different one. And so what ends up happening, though, is when I don't get touch, I don't give words. And when she don't get words, I don't get touch. <laughs> Hey, we're married. We can talk about this stuff, right? It shouldn't be awkward. So, but it's, it's, this is what I've learned. I've got to touch her heart before touching her body. I've got to meet a need before, I'll say it again. I've got to touch her heart before I touch her body because I've got to meet a need that's there before I want a need that's met here. This, and this is so, this, this isn't even just in the sexual side of things. This is like there's needs that she has that, that I've got to identify and, 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 and here's what I do know, though. However much we can, we can kind of over-spiritualize, like, God should meet all your needs. And yes, that is, there's an element of that that is true. But one of the ways that God meets your needs is he puts people in your life. Like, when you're hungry, the way God meets your hunger need is he gives you food. McDonald's. <clears throat> food. He gives you food, Right? And so, like, if there's a need for, with, with loneliness or with encouragement, the way that God meets the need is he puts people in your life that, that help meet it. Y'all, y'all, y'all understanding? Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that God does meet our needs is he does put people in our life that help us meet those needs. But, I, I, man, it's just one of the things I hear constantly all the time is, well, my needs aren't doing work, and I'm not happy anymore, and I'm not this. And, and, and so we can't put too much stock in other people and them meeting our needs, but at the same time, we need to be aware of them. Mm-hmm. 
you know, being aware if your spouse is needing to, they want to work out and that you need help figuring out the time for that or date nights or, um, you know, if, even if you can't do a date night, like connecting um, each day or night or um, their sexual needs, whatever those are that you're looking out for um, the others and you're not um, over demanding your own also. Well, I, I know even for us, I mean, this was one that we kind of had to navigate through was, so my days are not, you know, it's not nine to five. I mean, some days I get home way later than that. Some things I have night meetings. And so when I'm on my way home, usually almost every day when I'm on my way home, I'll either text her or I'll call her and say, Hey, I'm on my way home. Do you need anything? Um, and, and I love it when she just says, just you. Um, yeah, I know. Um, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but then I get home and realize just you meant I need a break. I need just you to, to deal, deal with, with these three. <laughs> Y'all with me? Y'all see how that plays out? Just you. I'm like, yeah, no, no. Which one do I got to beat? Which one is it? Um, so I... I would come home, and, and then even on top of that, like, I would come home and I'm exhausted. You know, I just want to just veg out on the couch and, you know, scroll Facebook or whatever, just kind of just disengage. Yeah, me too. And she wants the same. <laughs> and so it's, you know, being, you know, we'd, we'd have to navigate through this, and we've, we have navigated through this pretty often of, like, when I would be on the couch and I would be scrolling, and I'd hear the cabinet doors getting closed a little harder, <laughs> drawers opening a little more. <laughs> And realizing, like, what's going on in the kitchen? That was a unspoken, spoken need. Of it would be nice to get some help. It'd be nice to it, those kind of things. And so, my needs is such a such a huge thing. And and so, just committing to prioritize her needs over mine. I think that's a part of dying to self. That's, that's what Jesus did, right? Put the needs of other people ahead of themselves. So I think that's a big one. And then I think. The other one is not only my needs, what I hear often is my time. My time. Mm -hmm. It's mine. It's mine. And I think a big thing most people, if not everybody, struggle with, um, you want to do well at work or you, you love, because like you know with your spouse, you know they're not going anywhere. So you um, have this need for people's approval or people, so you don't want to let people down. So, so many times when we're counseling, we hear, you know, like, um, we don't spend enough time together as a couple or they're always with their friends or they're not making time for our family. And I think it's because like, you know, they're not going anywhere. So you can, but the whole thing, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else, just realizing that it isn't just your time anymore because you got married, it became we, and that, um, being aware of the motivations of why you're saying yes to some things and um, realizing that you're probably saying no to your spouse because we hear that just so often, like, we don't, they don't have time for me or, and they're doing all the, uh, these other things. Like, why are you, you know, putting that above? Why are you choosing that it's your time instead of our time now and working that, through that together? And time is the currency of our relationships. <clears throat> and it's such a huge thing that we have to make a priority. I... This was a very convicting thing for me because I had a guy one t once tell me, a guy that was a mentor of mine, he said, do the people outside of your home think more highly of you than the ones inside your home? Because if the people outside your home are 
love you more than the people inside your home. It's showing where you're putting all your time. And whether that's with a boss or a job or church or, I mean, we can do it in so many different friends, you know. And, and, and I don't think it's always like in evil ways. I think like sometimes like, man, I just want to help. My, my friend calls and I, they, need, they need help and I just want to help and I always want to be helping people. I always want to say yes to taking this appointment and taking this opportunity and taking this thing. And, and just realizing that idea of like when I say yes to this, I'm saying no to this. And I say yes, and, and I had to come to a place of just realizing that, that that was a real convicting thing for me of like, was I trying to please people outside of my home more than the people inside my home? Were the people inside my home more frustrated with me than the people outside my home? And isn't it crazy that the people we love the most get our least? Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of, it was some priority things that needed to get into place in my own heart and in my own life and, and having to say no to some things and um, and even really good things. And that's the hard thing is having to say no to good things so I can say yes to the, to the best things. Um, all right, number three, and this is the biggie. Unresolved offenses. If there's anything that can drive a wedge and divide, the, the enemy's greatest strategy is division. Not only is he going to use our differences and not only is he going to use selfishness, but he's going to use offenses. And here's where it gets good. Because the question is not if offenses are going to come. The question is what are you going to do when they do? How many of you have been in relationships long enough to know that you're going to get hurt in relationships? Can I get a show of hands? If you haven't, you haven't lived long enough. Or you're a hermit, one of the two. relationships are going to bring pain. And have you noticed how our society is like more easily offendable than ever before? Like everybody's offended about something. Like they're always finding something to get offended over. Um, And it's sad the way that it is, um, but it's just the society that we live in. But one of the things I think that, that I'm learning more and more is the closer I am in relationships the more opportunities I have for intimacy and offense. I'll say that again. The closer I am in relationships, the more opportunities I have for intimacy, but it's also the more opportunities I have for offense with one another. And you see this all throughout um, marriages. You see this all throughout relationships. And you say, oh, well, how does that happen? How do we get divided? How does our marriage get divided? One little thing at a time. Mm One little offense at a time. It's never massively huge, big things that usually happen. It's this, ready? Unmet expectations are the breeding ground for offense. Unmet expectations are the breeding ground for offense in relationships. So we're going we're gonna to give you a little bit of a visual here in just a minute. But let me tell you what the problem with expectations. There's two problems with expectations. Number one, they're often unrealistic. Meaning you've gone into a relationship demanding something of someone that they cannot actually deliver. Like you needed the, that man to fulfill all of the void that was in your soul. Well, that just ain't happening. You're setting him up to be a failure. Like it's not going to happen. There are some things that we put on people that we're wanting them to do for us because of a lack or a void in our life or a hurt that's in our life. And so it becomes almost unrealistic um, in a lot of ways. But what I find when I do marriage counseling and we talk with people, most 
Unmet expectations are not because they're unrealistic. Ready? It's because they're unspoken. They're unspoken. So, let's show you what this looks like. So this is how this plays out in relationships all the time, all the time. And it's usually things that we don't realize that are big deals um, in our lives, but for whatever reason, we haven't told um, our spouse that they were big deals. So like, I'll give you, for example, so like in Lindsay's family, um, birthdays, of course, are a big deal. They should be, but like, it's a big deal on the day itself. Like there has to be a cake and there has to be candles no matter what. And you have to sing that didn't, that wasn't in my family. Okay, like my family, like birthdays were a big deal, but like you could do it on different days. It wasn't, wasn't a big deal. And if you did the cake, great. If not, whatever. But I found out that in Lindsay's family, if you didn't get a cake and you didn't get candles and you didn't get sang to, it wasn't your birthday. <laughs> and this is what happens. And so sure enough, what ends up happening is that becomes a thing where I woke up that day and uh, there wasn't a cake when she woke up with candles. And everybody circled around the table waiting for mama to get up and go, happy birthday to you. And so what ends up happening is I give her an opportunity to be offended. And here we go. We begin the offense. And so this is what we hear. This is where, where it starts happening one offense at a time. Or, for example, maybe you've uh, cooked as soon as you got home from after you did homework with the kids and you cook dinner and you, you know, make sure everybody has everything they need. And after dinner, everybody just walks away, goes do their own thing, have their free time. And you're in the kitchen by yourself with the dishes. And you say, am I the only one who has to do the dishes every night? And here we so. go. We get another, another, put another one in the board. This is how it, this is how it begins to happen in our lives constantly. Or let's just say you go on a vacation together and you drive to, let's just say Tennessee, um, <laughs> just happens to go there. And hours your away. wife doesn't really believe that you are the best suitable driver that there is for the family. <laughs> that there are ways that you kind of work around the driving system. And so you already get into things of break off, get, go, let's go, let's stop, let's go. And then I, he says, <laughs> I don't know how to get there. Just, just find ways or find the app and just put the address in and just whatever it says to do, just tell me what it says to do. But even though he can't drive like he needs to drive, she can't give directions from a thing that says turn right in 50 feet. <laughs> And she fails to tell him in 50 feet. She tells him at 150 feet that he needs to take a right, which then proceeds with someone on my phone saying, turn around, rerouting, turn around, reroute. And you do this for 13 hours on a trip to Tennessee, and it just happens. And if you don't like my driving, you could drive. <laughs> That's totally hypothetical situation. <laughs> I mean, I don't know feet, you know? I mean, you know feet, but it's like, as you're, or usually it's like meters. I don't know, but I mean, I kind of do, but 
the arrow's like this, and then it's like, wait, 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 it was now, but it looks like it's way more ahead. I know there are people who agree with, like, can I at least? Put your hands down. <laughs> Put your hands down. It's not as easy as it seems. Oh, no, what? No, and then he's like, give me the phone. <laughs> you should have taken it from the first part, but anyway, um, totally hypothetical. I know our child could get up here and say that did happen. Um, or another one, definitely more serious, um, kind of a, more of a personal thing for me. Um, I think I would call this like motherhood martyrdom kind of thing. And I didn't even realize I had done it until it wasn't months later. It was years later. But I thought as a good wife and a mom, it was to like complete. Uh, it's just like such a fine balance because we are talking about dying to yourself and being selfless. But for me, I didn't. He wasn't picking up on the unspoken things, and then I wasn't sharing some of the things. So I thought it was, I have to stay home all of the time. Because we are, we're supposed to take care of our kids, but I wasn't sharing any of my needs or my desires. And I realized I had put some of the things that God was calling me to do aside. And um, because I was letting him, you know, do the things. But I realized years later that um, I had put... I wasn't sharing things. So while I can't put it on him and say, it's all your fault for not noticing all my needs, I have to take that and say, hey, I didn't share my heart with you to say, hey, I had some needs too. Like, I wanted to go work out sometimes or go here, but I would think like, no, he's more important. His work is more important than mine. I would do things like that. And so um, not knowingly, but definitely there were times where offense could come from that. And then there would be times where... I would get a text message that said, I miss you, with like a little, little thing there. And, and I, I was thinking that she missed me. And so I come home thinking, we're going to hurry up and put the kids to bed. This is, this is what's going to be. And so I go in the shower, and then I get out, and I put the boys to bed, and I get in bed, and she's asleep. <laughs> and the offense has already begun because... I'm, I'm stewing over the fact that I thought tonight was going to be a little different. <laughs> and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And then something happens the next night or the next night. And slowly over time, this begins to happen. And, it's, and if you notice how the enemy works, it's one little offense at a time. And eventually what you fail to realize is that you actually build a fence. How you doing over there? Howdy, neighbor. Howdy, neighbor. <laughs> Some of y'all might be too young for that. And so, Scripture says, what God unites, let no one divide. Divide. And this is what you've got to realize. Offense is an event, but living offended is a decision. It's a decision. We decided to build this fence. And we built this fence together, by the way. This wasn't all me, and it wasn't all her. But it was both of us. And, and many of you, your bedrooms look like this. It's, it's the gap between the, in, in the bed. You're in the same bed, but it's, it's literally like there's a wall between there. And some of your relationships are like this. They, there's, a, there's a gap. There's, a, there's been a fence. There's been hurts. There's been things that have been said. There's been things that have been done. And you didn't mean to. 
But over time, you have built this thing bigger and bigger and bigger, and this thing gets wider and wider and wider, and, and, and more unexpressed, unmet expectations, and you put the board in, you put the board in. And here's what you need to understand. The enemy's goal is for you to drive these offenses further and further down. Ready? But watch this. God's goal is for you to begin to take these offenses and drop it. And if you don't learn over time to begin to communicate and talk through the unmet and unexpressed frustrations, you're going to keep driving them down. But as soon as you bring them to light and you start expressing these things, you start dropping these things. And this is what scripture says. And thankfully it stays broke. So this is what it says. Watch what Matthew says it this way. Matthew puts it, this is how serious Jesus is about this. Matthew says it this way. If you're presenting a gift before the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember a quarrel that you have with a fellow believer or a fellow spouse, you come to church and you're lifting up hands and worship team is leading you in this powerful worship and then something clicks inside of you. Me and my wife are not right. Me and this friend are not right. Some of you sit on a different side of the church because you got an issue with someone. And this scripture says, leave your gift. Like, leave it right there in front of everything that's going on in the altar and, and go at once. And what does it tell you to do? Some of y'all didn't even want to say the word. What does it tell you to do? Apologize. Apologize. Well, I'm waiting for him to apologize. It wasn't my fault. If 5% of it was your fault, you should go 100% at that 5%. And, and you apologize with the one who is offended. And now watch, it says this. And then after you do that, then you can come and be reconciled. And you can come to the altar. And you can present your gift. This is what he's saying, ready? He's saying that every time I'm offended and I'm putting, driving this in between my relationships, not only does my relationship get impacted with my spouse. This, this scripture is telling me that I'm actually building a wall between not only me and her, but me and him. Mm-hmm. And that's why you wonder why your relationship with God is so struggling. is because as long as there's this wall that's here, God says there's also this wall that's here. The Bible would even tell us in 1 Peter to husbands, you know why God is hindering your prayers? It's because your relationship with your wife's not right. Get your relationship with your wife right, and the heavens will begin to be opened again. This is how serious this is what God is that he says about it. And so if you are offended, if you, if you are living in offense, it's, this isn't just my job. She's got to do it too. And I've got to do it too. And I'm not saying that we don't address it. We do need to address the offenses. We do need to communicate what it was. But we also have got to begin to do the process of dropping them. And the more and more we begin to drop them, the more and more this just begins to open up. Now, this is what I do know, though, is that we have a solution. Because thankfully, the person who had every reason to be offended, the, the person who had... Every reason to not let go of offenses. How do you know his name's Jesus? He's perfect. And, and you know, his, his solution for, for that, 
was this. And how many know when he was on a cross, his words were, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. So guess what? The way that you drop these things is with forgiveness. And here's what you learn. Forgiveness lets out a prisoner and you find out that that prisoner is you. Forgiveness lets out the prisoner. You're that prisoner. And so today, if you're walking through offenses, if you're walking through areas of your life where there's a, there's a wall in your relationships, maybe it's a friendship or maybe it is a marriage or maybe it's, there's areas of your life, um, today God is offering an opportunity for you to begin to uproot these things and to give forgiveness. And I would say if the fence has been built and it's a long fence, if you haven't been in whatever relationship taking care of those offenses, don't be disillusioned that like you'll say, will you forgive me? And everything's like all fine real quick because trust has to be rebuilt. New patterns and new ways of dealing and going about your relationship has to be different. And it may get a little worse before it gets better, but that's where you have to be diligent about you know, communicating and making things right. And maturity isn't about what, you know, the offenses. Maturity is being able to work through the offenses. Maturity isn't when you can do it quickly. Mm. Immaturity is when, oh, like you let it build and build and build and build. That's how you got your fence. But maturity is saying, okay, let's deal with this quickly and in the right way so we can start to take the fence down. But we both have to work at it. And don't be disillusioned that it's just all going to be fine you may have some old patterns that you have to work through, yeah, but it's so possible. It's so possible. Good. Would you bow your heads today? Father, Lord, in this moment, we recognize the areas of our life. Maybe, God, right now, I believe by the Holy Spirit, you're even bringing things up into people's hearts and minds right now. Maybe even something that happened on the way here or something that's happened this weekend. Maybe it's been something that's happened for years but God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to give us the power and the strength and the grace to begin to uproot these offenses, these areas of selfishness, these areas of differences, and that what the enemy has meant to divide, that God, that you would begin to help, to begin to pull these things out one at a time, that there would be healing, that there would be restoration, that there would be strength. God, there's those of us that are in this room or watching online right now that their marriage is on the brink. It's been on the brink. But today, in this moment, you are showing them that it's not over. It's not over. That they can begin to fight they can begin to drop. They can begin to release. God, we know reconciliation is not always possible, but release is always available. So God, I pray that today, God, that there would be a release that happens in this house, that people that have been carrying offenses and bitterness and resentment, that today the process would begin the process of healing in marriages, the processes of healings in, in families, and the process of healing in friendships. 
right there just where you are in this moment, if the Holy Spirit's just been revealing something to you right now, and you know, man, this is just a moment you need to repent of that. I want you to take that moment right there where you are. If you're watching online, you know it's just something that, that you need to repent of. I want you just in this moment, first and foremost, before, before the Lord, just right there where you are, I want you just to kind of acknowledge that before him. Say, God, I'm sorry for that. More than that breaking relationships that, that broke your heart. And God, I thank you, Lord, that as we get honest in these areas of our life, that you offer incredible grace, incredible forgiveness. God, I pray right now, right now, you would begin to release the burden. You would open the door and set the prisoner free. It's all heads bowed. If you're here in this place, more than a relationship with people, is a relationship with God that needs to make sure that that's right. Because you can't fix broken relationships until you first fix the broken area of your heart between you and God. If you're here in this place and you don't have a relationship with God, I'm not meaning that you don't go to church or that maybe you haven't been baptized or done communion. None of those things save us. The only thing that saves us is is a surrendering of our heart to the Lordship of Jesus. We say, God, you're my Father. God, I surrender my life to you. If you're here in this place and you go, you know what, before I make relationships right with people, I know I need to make it right with God. I'm ready to surrender my life to him. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you just to shoot your hand up and say, Pastor Josh, Lindsay, would you just pray for me? On the count of three, one, two, three. If that's you going up all across this ring, one, two, three, four, five, six. Anybody else? Thank you so much. You can put your hand right back down. And I want you to just pray this right there where you are. And I believe God's going to begin to meet you right here in this moment. He's going he's to set you free. He's going to begin to save you in this moment right here. I want you to say this. So say, Dear Lord Jesus. Come on, everybody say this after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize that you're the Son of God and that you came and lived a life that I couldn't live. And you died a death to take my shame, my sin, and my guilt. And you rose again so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. You paid that price. And today, I surrender my life. I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Today, God, be my Father. Jesus, be my Savior. Holy Spirit, be my helper. From this moment forward, in Jesus' name, amen.